I don't know, I'm a little nostalgic tonight. Um, got a little emotional watching Tyler and Jessica play it there. It's been a while. Uh, having Paolo back, used to play with us some. And uh, of course, having Becky back. It's, um, you know, it's part of the joy of international ministry. You have friends. Maybe one to two percent of them actually come back and say hello, but you know, it's, it's always nice when they do. And of course, Dow and Jan being here as well. So, hey, this is, uh, you know, this is like a movie. You know, the warning you get before you watch a movie, at least in the States, I don't know how they do it where, you, where you're from. But this is going to be like a full contact sermon, okay? So, if you don't feel like you're up to it, you're free to go right now. But I want to tell you, I have a long introduction. And it's all because of the one word in the passage you heard read. We have been reconciled. Now, we had a huge problem. We had a huge problem. We were the enemies of God. We made ourselves the enemies of God. But now, if you heard the text read, through the blood and the body of Christ, all who have genuinely repented and believed and placed their faith in Him as Lord and Savior, they are reconciled. This is big. Gives me goosebumps. I've got them already. I haven't even started. So I wanted to start like this. You'll understand why the introduction is what it is once I begin. If you'll keep the word reconciled in, in your mind and you keep the word enemy in your mind, you keep those two in your head. So, God is probably not who you think He is. That is, if you're an average Christian attending an average church. That's the opening line to the new book. What do you think, Shabomi? You like it? I'm going to leave it in. Shabomi likes it. The book is entitled Dangerous God. The subtitle is Wrath, Vengeance, Recompense, and Terror. Now, I know nobody will actually buy the book and read it, but that's not the point. The point is, it's out there. Right? And the reason I start with that line is, I don't think your average Christian in your average church actually ever hears about the wrath, vengeance, and recompense and terror of God anymore. I don't think it's true anymore. I think, although God is unashamed of these attributes of His, it seems like many of His so-called ministers are thoroughly ashamed of these attributes of God. You never hear them mentioned in most Churches. And here's the deal. If you don't understand that's what you deserve, you don't understand the cross. You don't understand reconciliation. You don't understand why God bled out. You don't understand. If you don't know how holy God is and how His righteous wrath burns against the sin and the sinner, you have no appreciation for for what Jesus Christ has, has done for you. So let's call it what it is for many so-called ministers. It's cowardice, at least, and it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy to call yourself a church and not be able to talk about who God says He is. Right? 
We're more interested in a crowd. Well, not here. <laughs> Obviously. You know, but... Yeah. So that's where we are going to go. The first, the first scripture in, in the book, it's got one page all by itself. You might be able to guess what it is. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, right? Hebrews 10, 31. God's anger, His indignation, His fury, and His wrath are mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible, but you can't find a sermon on it almost anywhere anymore. In fact, His wrath and anger and fury are mentioned more than His love. God doesn't just talk about it. He describes it. Here's some, here's some terms He uses. He talks about His burning anger, His great indignation, His blazing wrath, His fierce anger, His great wrath, wrathful hostility, the flood of His anger. He says He is filled and full of wrath. He talks about His rod of wrath, the fire of His wrath. He talks about pouring out his burning indignation, inflicting his wrath, accomplishing his anger against his enemies. There it is. Why am I starting like this? You've been reconciled. You're the enemy. You made yourself an enemy of God. You chose to, you know, cross his boundary. You chose to break his law. There it is. He will accomplish his anger against his enemy. Beloved, you don't want to meet God as an enemy. You don't want to meet God as an enemy. Just a couple of quick verses. Nahum 1.6 Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the burning of His anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. Ezekiel 8.18 God says, Therefore I indeed shall deal in My wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor shall I spare. And though they cry in My ears with a loud voice, yet I shall not listen to them. Isaiah chapter 13. Just some excerpts. I am coming with my instruments of indignation to execute my anger. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. I keep seeing this as I'm studying the Old Testament. Melting hearts and weak knees, right? Jehovah's coming. He's been riled out of his habitation. That's not the right verb. I can't remember it off the top of my head. And he's coming. He's done it, and He's promised that He will do it. Listen, He says, They will be terrified. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning with anger to make the land a desolation. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud. Therefore, I shall make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of His burning anger. When was the last time you heard that preached? Nahum 1-2 again, God says, He is a jealous and avenging and a wrathful God. Psalm 7-11, God says, He is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 5-5, God says, I hate all who do iniquity. Now, you know, when I start talking like this, you get a lot of people, the first thing they want to say is, well, that's just Old Testament God. Oh, guess what? The New Testament God is the Old Testament God. And guess what? Jesus takes it up a notch. Right? Jesus starts talking about eternal conscious punishment. In the Old Testament, we see this, these historical judgments. They're really what we see on the surface, just the temporal aspect. Right? 
Jesus takes it way up. Jesus starts talking about eternal conscious punishment. And you get into the Revelation, and you have God casting the reprobate into the lake of fire, which Matthew 25 and Revelation 14 tell us is eternal. Now, I know some people want to try to make the case for universalism, but you can't make that case biblically. You can't make it biblically. So, okay, here's the deal. I know some of you already hate my sermon. <laughs> I know it. I get it. Um, you know what I've always said. I have an audience of one. I hope you like the sermon, but really, I just want God to like it. If God likes it, then I've done my job. You have to deal with, you have to deal with what is said. So the truth is the truth whether you like it or not. God is God whether you like what He does or not. It's never whether you like it or I like it. The question is, did God say it? The most famous sermon ever preached in the U.S. anyway, Jonathan Edwards, in the 18th century, he talks about Revelation 19.15. He says, man, if it had, he didn't say man, but he said, if it had only been said, the wrath of God, the words would have uh, implied that which is infinitely dreadful. But it is the fierce wrath of God. The, it's not just wrath. It's the fierce wrath of God, right? And you know, we play church and we, we, we kind of like pigeonhole Jesus. He's the meek and mild Jesus. Listen, he doesn't, when he comes back, he is on a horse and he's waging war. Have you read the 66th book? There's probably, we have a small group, but I would venture to say there's more than one of us in here presuming on Jesus' meek and mild. He doesn't come back this way. He's coming back to judge his enemies. And it's forever. Jonathan Edwards reminds us it's forever. He's just extrapolating what Jesus has said. After millions and millions of ages of wrath, it will have only just begun. This is the clear assertion of Jesus. Now, if eternal conscious punishment is not true, then Jesus was either ignorant or he was a liar. So I want you to understand what your pastor's doing if he refuses to preach on hell. You know, he's actually, well, he's ignoring truth, but he may be doing two other things. He may, by, may be backhandedly calling Jesus ignorant or a liar. Jesus believes in hell. Jesus taught it. Jesus believes in the wrath of God. He used words like eternal punishment, eternal fire, unquenchable fire, salted with fire, outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. So I just want us to understand whether you like it or not, whether you, either, whether you ever darken the door of, of a church again or not, there is no ambiguity here. There is no ambiguity. God will judge his enemies. He will do it. He has said He will do it. He's done it on the pages of Scripture. And He has foretold what He will do. So why am I preaching 
starting the sermon like this because you need to know the God who is. This is another line that I use a lot in the book. You like that, Shibon? He likes it. You got to know the God who is, not the God in your head. If you're in a weak church, you know, you've got some maudlin, sentimental, you know, grandfatherly figure in your head. Read your Bible. That's not who he is. We need to know the God who is. It does us no good to know some pseudo-Christ that does not exist anywhere but in my imagination. Right? We need to know the true God. And beloved, we all know, don't we? God will not be mocked. He will not be presumed upon. He will not be. So the biblical God is unapproachably holy, righteous, awesome, fearsome, and terrifying. I was reading something recently by Piper. He says God is terrifyingly magnificent. I love that, man. I just can't get over that. John Piper, famous preacher in the States, for those of you who don't know. God is terrifyingly magnificent. Some of you may not know Him like that. You need to know Him like that. You need to be in awe. Or you won't go out there and live it the way you should if you're not in awe. If you don't know, He's terrifyingly magnificent. He will be your fuel. He will be your fuel to go out there and live at large. Right? The God who makes the whole earth shake and the mountains melt like wax. That's a God you can believe. That's a God you can obey. That's a God you can proclaim in the world. Right? It doesn't matter if they like it. There'll be one or two or three or four maybe more in your, in your sphere of influence that will like it. God will save. We know the world hates the biblical God. We know this, this is why pseudo-Jesus exists. The world by and large has abandoned the biblical Jesus. Even many parts of the church. God says, I will render vengeance to my enemies and I will repay those who hate me. So we must teach these truths, right? Because many don't know them. You should be knowledgeable about them so you can share them with your friends and your family. The second reason we need to know about these truths is you have no clue what it means to be reconciled. You have no clue to understand what it means to be an enemy of God lest you understand what God has said about His wrath, vengeance, recompense, and terror. That He rains down upon His enemies. What is... What is God saying in that Deuteronomy 32, 41 passage? I will settle the score with all my enemies. I'll do it. I'll settle the score. I'll settle the score, He says, with all of those who hate Me. And we know, don't we? We know, don't we? All of us in here that were born again, we know we were once enemies of God. I know I was. I was converted at 28. Now, if you were you know, converted as a child, you have a little bit different testimony that I know I was an enemy of God. And He just plucked me out of my, you know, narcissism, right? <laughs> By the grace and mercy that He is so prone to reveal. We know that we, Romans 1.30, were haters of God. We know that we were the enemies of God. So, beloved, we need to preach it and we need to tell it. Young Adult Bible Study Wednesday night, we talked about perspective. Yeah, you think you're a victim? Here's some perspective. You should be in hell. How about that? You want some perspective? 
You'll never see yourself as a victim if you're, bibli if you're biblically literate. You'll never see yourself as a victim, ever. You're not a victim. You've been saved out of it, right? You've been saved out of your own rebellion. It's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. Quick story. Um, yeah, I'll get in the text in a minute. It's, it's a short text. Don't worry. Those of you who look at your watches. 20, 20 years ago, one night, uh, yeah, one night 20 years ago, Karen and I were leading a Bible study. It was on the wrath of God. And a young woman, she, she suddenly screamed, I get it! She, she'd been raised in a liberal church. She had no idea what the cross was really about. She never understood the blood. She never understood the broken body. She never understood the crucifixion. And when she finally understood that she was an enemy of God, and she saw that all the wrath that she deserved fell on Christ, she says, I get it. She started to weep. I get it. I never understood it. Now I get it. Right? Beloved, this is a big deal. If you're going to ignore uh, these attributes of God, you ignore them at your peril. I think it's blasphemy. Yes, I'm happy to use that word. I think it's blasphemy for us not to deal with what God has said clearly about Himself. And it, we may make a lot of mistakes here, but we will not be guilty of blasphemy. We will talk about the biblical God, whether this it's just Karen and me or, you know, a thousand people. We will not blaspheme. We will not blaspheme the Lord. Romans 5.10 While we were enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. So, I'm going to start getting into the text. I want you to think about all I just said when you see the word reconciled, okay? That's what you've been reconciled out of. That's what I've been reconciled out of. As we discussed the last couple of weeks, Paul writes this letter to the church um, in Colossae to defend the biblical gospel, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We know that, and he will start getting into the specifics of that in the next chapter, we know he's fighting uh, Christ plus gospels, right? We've been talking about it, doesn't matter if it's East, Eastern Orthodox, um, Catholic or apostate Protestant, it doesn't matter. If, if someone's adding something to Jesus Christ, it's demonic. Okay, So we've covered that ground, but we're going to see that more specifically as we get into chapter 2. But Paul is laying the groundwork for his arguments. So, as I said to you, I can almost hear Paul saying, seriously, you're going to add something to God. You're going to add something to the broken and bleeding body of God? You're going to add religion to that? Seriously? Are you kidding me? It's between the lines. I don't think you have to be a theologian to see that they are. And last week, last week I told you my favorite Bible verse, remember? And I said it's a test to see if I can actually communicate anything to anyone. Does anybody remember what my favorite Bible verse is? Probably some of you wrote it down. You probably remember you're just too shy. Okay, I'll take that. You're just too shy. Romans 11.36, right? For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. There's everything right there. There's your whole life right there, right? It's origin, purpose, and destiny. One verse. 
And Paul's going to effectively, we saw it last week, he effectively says the same thing in verse 15 and 16 of Colossians chapter 1. This is the anchor to all reality, Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to begin, uh, yeah, we covered these verses last week. I'm just going to quickly read the verses we saw last week and then I'll move on. I'm going to pick up at verse 15, okay? This sets the stage for what he's going to say tonight. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. I'm in verse 15, Colossians 1. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him and for Him. That's you, right? That includes you. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in anything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Picking up verse 20, the new, the new text for this, this evening. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Do you see it? Reconciliation, peace with God. You were the enemy. I was the enemy. Through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He's reconciling all things to Himself. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, I can own it. Some of you that were converted as children, you may not be able to see it as clearly. I see myself there. Verse 22, yet uh, he has now reconciled, there it is again, you in his fleshly body, the broken body of Christ, through death, in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Why aren't there 10,000 people trying to hear this? Well, we know why, right? We theologically understand it. But this is the best news that's ever fallen on the ears of mankind. You were an enemy. In Christ, we are holy, blameless, and above reproach. Let me finish. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So, through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled. That's what the long introduction was all about. I don't think you get these, te- these, these passages if you don't come to it understanding what you deserved. You, you never understand reconciliation unless you understand who you were before God Through His finished work on the cross, Jesus has reconciled us. So what does the word reconciled mean? You know what it means. Uh, The definition simply is to bring into a state of harmony, to establish harmony, right? Harmony between two uh, individuals or two things that are at odds with each other. And yeah, we were at odds with God. And if you're not in Christ, you're at odds with God. You will meet God as an enemy lest you repent and believe. This is the word. I'm just preaching the word. If I'm wrong, tell me. I'll change my sermon. You don't want to meet God as an enemy. We have rebelled against God. We did that. We did that. The one thing I love about this word, um, reconciled in the Greek, if you look at the original language, it's got 
It's a compound word. It's like you're hyper-reconciled, right? It's like you're uber-reconciled, right? This is what it means. You are thoroughly, utterly, totally, completely, absolutely, can never change, reconciled to God. Through Christ. Oh, you're going to add religion to that? I don't think so, you know, Paul says. I don't think so. Again, another example of of blasphemy that pseudo-Christian denominations add anything to God. The cross and religion, the cross and legalism, the cross and sacraments, may it never be. We are reconciled through the broken body and blood of Jesus Christ. Another preacher in the States I really love, John MacArthur, he unpacks this a little bit. Listen to what he says. Born-again Christians are justified. We stood... Uh, before God justly accused, and now we are declared righteous. We are redeemed. We stood before God as a slave. Now we've been set free. We were forgiven. We were st- standing before God as a debtor, and now the debt has been paid. We were reconciled. We stood before God as an enemy. Now we are His sons and daughters. We were, and one I will add, we were delivered. We stood condemned, but now we are How can you live this small? Come on. How can you live this small? We can't. If it's real, you can't. You can't live it small. We have an awesome Savior. And the only reasonable response to radical grace is radical obedience. As we talked about last week, Satan has always sought to twist the meaning of Scripture. He always does this. We talked about how Jehovah's Witnesses want to mangle verse 15, Colossians 1, about Jesus being the firstborn. They like to say, well, He's not God. He's created. Obviously, that was false. That is false. You only have to read the Bible superficially and you understand that that's not a credible assertion. In, In our text tonight... Um, the universalists like to pile on here that he's reconciling all things. So everybody's going to be saved. Well, again, another superficial reading of the Bible will tell you that not every human being will be saved. That's always a false teaching. Satan will proof text you into hell, beloved. He will proof text you into hell. He does it. You're supposed to know the Word. You're supposed to know when a guy like me is telling you a lie. You're supposed to know. That's on you. (laughs) That's on you. It's like I told you last week, don't believe what I say unless you can see it in the Word of God, unless you can see the inference there. You're supposed to know the Word. You know what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15. You're to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the Word of truth. So you have all you need to be a radical Christian. There'll be no excuses on the last day. I tell you that all the time. We have everything we need. We have the Word of God. We have the work of God. The, 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 the Word of God. The promise of God. The Holy Spirit. You have more than you need. What does it mean Christ is reconciling all, reconciling all things 
to himself. Well, you know the story. One sin brought the whole cosmos down, right? You know the story. One sin brought it all down. All you have to do is look at Romans 8. It talks about the creation anxiously longing and eagerly waiting to be set free from its slavery to corruption. The whole creation groans and suffers the pangs of childbirth together until now. He's talking about Jesus will, will reconcile all things, the elect, and a new heaven and a new earth. Right? The old one will what? You know, the old one will be what? Burned up. It's reserved for fire. Is that Timothy or Peter? I forget. I'm going with Peter. It's reserved for fire. This one's gone. Oh, you're hoarding up stuff? Oh, that's so smart. Hoard up some more stuff. It's going to burn. It's going to burn. Most of you are too smart to play that game. So, yeah. God is reconciling. This, this is a reference to all creation, right? It's not a reference to all people. It's a reference to all Creation, one theologian personifies the earth and graphically portrays the earth's revulsion and loathing at having to bear the weight of seven billion rebels. Yeah, that's strong. But I think it's, a, it's an important thing to think about. So the Holy Spirit is teaching us in Colossians 1.20 that, that in Christ, the born-again Christian, we're new creatures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the created order will be made new. Yeah, there it is. Second. Peter. Verses 21 and 22, the Holy Spirit says, you and I were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, right? If you were converted as an adult, you know this is true. Maybe as a child, you're, you're a little foggy on it. Theologically, it's true. But you weren't quite the full-grown rebel that those of us who were converted in adulthood were. Alien alienated and hostile. You know what the text, you know what the Bible says, James 4.4. 4. Friendship with the world is what? You know this. Hostility toward God. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us, 1 John 2.15. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, Romans 8.7. He's making the case. You were an enemy, but now you've been reconciled. And you're bored at church? You can't do Bible study? You don't want to pray? Hey, I'm not saying we don't have dull times. We all have dull times. But I love what Shaboni said. If you're in a dull time, you better be fighting against it. But the next thing you know, you'll be wandering off. Who was the guy? I forgot his name now. The guy we were talking about three or four weeks ago. Who's the guy that just walked off? The guy in the States. Do you remember? You can't remember. Okay. Uh, pastor, author, superstar in the evangelical world. He's out of here. So, beloved, yeah. What does the Bible say? You need to persevere, man. You need to overcome. You gotta overcome when it gets hard. When it when you when you feel that you're 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 dull with God. You gotta overcome. It's what God calls us to do. So, look at the end of verse 22. We will be presented to God. Tell me, what does it say at the text? We'll be, we'll be presented. You will be. You will be, if you're in Christ. You will be presented to God what? What? Holy, blameless, and 
above reproach. You. How is that possible? I'm not any of that stuff. Right? <laughs> no, I know me. In Christ. <laughs> In Christ. Through His blood, verse 20. Through His fleshly body in death, verse 22. God's wrath, vengeance, recompenses, terror is off, and terror is off of me. Again, this is the best news that's ever fallen on the ears of man. There should be 10,000 people. We should, have, we should have to have crowd control. SWAT teams and everything. It's a testimony to how dead man's heart is. Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead. And what do dead men do? They don't do anything till God shows up. Right? Lazarus in the tomb. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The Father made the Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You remember the rhetorical question the Holy Spirit asked in Romans 8.33, Who will bring a charge against the elect? Who's going to do it? Who's going to bring a charge against you uh, in the courtroom of God? Nobody! Nobody can bring a charge against you. It will never happen. <laughs> There'll be no charges against you in the courtroom of God. Amen? Now, if you're just playing church, Satan's going to show up. And he's going to bring a charge of self-righteousness against you. Man, it's always personal, right? Christianity's always personal. It's either it's either personally going on or it's or it's a charade. So Hebrews 2 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Amen? And then you look at verse 23. Verse 23. What do you see? What's the first word? Verse 23, at least in the New, in New American Standard uh, translation. He says, you're going to be holy, blameless, and above reproach. What? If, if what? You're like Shibomi. If you're like Shibomi. Right? If you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Right? If... All this is true if you don't wander off. Because you got lazy with God. You had other priorities. The money, the family, the career, you know, the children. It was all more important than God. Paul says, be firmly established, steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So I'm going to close like this. I'm going to turn over to Luke chapter 7. You can go with me if you like. You know the story. Um, it's about a woman who had sold her body to men for money. She probably couldn't spell reconciliation, but she's going to show you what it looks like, okay? Luke chapter 12, I'm going to begin in verse 36. She was a sinner. The text says she was a sinner. This is code for prostitute. 
She was the consummate sinner in the eyes of the religious officials and uh, orthodoxy of the day. She knows what she deserves. She knows that she was unlovable, untouchable, an outcast in every possible respect. No man would ever want her, love her. She would never have a groom. She would certainly never know God but wait. There is one man who loved her. There is one man who came for her. There is one man who was willing to die for her. There was one man who would be her groom. He's the God-man. This is reconciliation. I'm going to read the text. Verse 36. She knew that he was in the house of the Pharisees. Verse 37. And behold, this is a shock. She enters, you know... At the, 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 the risk of great ridicule, she enters the home of this Pharisee. Behold, there was a woman in the city who was, yes, a harlot. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her hair, uh, probably with, with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Beloved, this is what an enemy reconciled to God looks like. Okay? This is Colossians 1. This is what an enemy, understanding she's been reconciled to her maker, to her redeemer, this is what it looks like. You say, well, Jim, I, 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 can't, I can't do what she did. Yeah, you can. You can go out there and make much of Christ. You can go out there and do it every day, right? It's your choice. It's your choice, man. Nobody's stopping you. Who's stopping you? Nobody's stopping you. And though her sins were many, in eternity past, Jesus set His heart upon her. And though her sins were many, He loved her with an everlasting love. Though her sins were many, He had chosen her to be His bride Though her sins were many, he came to reconcile her. You know the text, 2 Corinthians 11:2. God makes harlots into chaste virgin brides. This is reconciliation. God says, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. So unbeliever, if you're here tonight, if you're an unbeliever or just a nominal church attender, I say to you, you are storing up the fierce wrath of God. You must flee to Christ and be reconciled. And to the Christian, I say, go to the huge. For these few moments you've got left on the planet. Let's pray again. Lord, thank you for this awesome text. Thank you for this biblical truth. We have been reconciled. I was your enemy. I did that. But you have loved me. As you told the Old Testament Jews, I, I've loved you because I love you. I was not lovable. There was no reason to love me. Every reason to cast me into hell you loved me. And you saved me. I have been reconciled. What an awesome thing.
Lord, I pray this is not small to us. I pray this is not dogma to us. I pray this is not doctrine to us. I pray that it informs every single day of our life and every decision we make. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. A stand and I'll dismiss you with a benediction. Hey, I want you to thank Tyler and Jess for you know bringing their, their skills to help us worship. Thank Paolo as well. Appreciate you guys. It meant a lot to me. I really enjoyed it. The Lord really used you to speak to me. The Lord says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Have a great week. Go rejoice all week that you've been reconciled. Man, I, you, some of you got some hard stuff going on. But you know what? You've been reconciled. Think about that. God bless. We love you. Hope to see you next time. Thank you.